1: Welcome back to another episode of Finding Freedom here on the new day, the new publishing day for Finding Freedom Monday. Happy Monday. Hope you're having a good start to your week by listening to this show. And if you're listening through the Lions of Liberty Network feed or if you're listening on my Finding Freedom solo feed, I definitely appreciate it. Please, if you haven't, it would mean a lot to me and it would help uh, the show to get to more people if you could go and give the show a five-star rating and leave a nice little review, tell me what you think of the show, tell me what you'd like me to talk about in the future, and uh, it would really help me out and help uh, help us here at Lines of Liberty to reach more people. So I do want to talk about one thing before we get into the show. Before I do that, um, I just want to thank everyone for listening who has stuck with us here at Lions of Liberty, I know we've had some some change up with uh, with Mark leaving, and uh, now we're down to two shows a week. But I did want to tease uh, that we do have something new coming uh, down the pike. So um, we're not adding any more hosts to the show, but Brian and I have been talking, and we're going to be trying something out new soon in the main feed. So keep your eyes open for that. If you're not subscribed uh, to the Lions of Liberty network podcast feed please do that and uh, if you're not subscribed to my finding freedom solo feed please do that so one more thing in today's show let me say this uh, before I get to a quick uh, quick ad read for Buck Johnson before I get to that I want to talk about today's show just briefly um, we're gonna get into some really really heavy stuff today and you know I don't obviously I don't think everyone that listens to my show is a uh, is a christian and that's fine Um, i am a christian and the topic today where we're talking about exorcism and demon possession this is to a lot of people this is some pretty crazy stuff and i i realize that i understand that Um, people have different perspectives on it some don't believe in it at all some really do believe in it and some are somewhere in the middle but i would just challenge you this no matter where you fall on that scale Come into this show with an open mind and looking to learn new things and maybe gain some new perspectives because I really think uh, you're going to enjoy uh, my guest today. So before we get to the show, I want to talk to you about Buck Johnson. Uh, Buck Johnson is running for city council, and you know I really want to tell you about the vehicle that he's using to run for city council. It's Mises Mayors Pack, uh, formerly known as the Mises GOP, uh, the the Mises Mayors Pack is raising money to support Buck Johnson. Buck, of course, is the host of the Counterflow podcast, and in my humble opinion, one of the best interviewers out there. So, if you haven't checked out the Counterflow podcast to get Buck's perspective on things, and to, to see the great way he has of really um asking great questions that lead guests in very interesting directions that you that you don't hear um, from a lot of interviewers. So check out Buck on Counterflow and you can contribute uh, to his to his race where he's where he's running for city council. This is in uh, Lockhart, Texas. And if you know me, also, you know, if you listen to this show, you know I'm very much about local politics and changing things locally because the federal and state level, no matter which approach you're talking about, Libertarian Party, Republican Party, um, independent um, politics, whatever approach you do, the real change is going to happen at the local level. Federal, state, that's, I mean, I wouldn't even worry, worry too much about it at all. That's just me. But the way you, you can support Buck through the Mises uh, Mayor's Pack, you can go to misesgop.org slash lions. And contribute a few dollars there, um, not one cent. We'll go back to pack leadership. Many other packs, most other packs, I would say the vast majority, do you know, pay the people who run the packs. And um, the, Mises Geo- the Mises Mayor's PAC does not do that. So all your money will go directly to helping candidates like Buck Johnson, in this case, it will will go to Buck Johnson. So please consider doing that. And with that being said, let's get into today's show. My guest today on Finding Freedom is Adam Bly. Adam is a church-decreed expert in religious demonology and exorcism for the Diocese of Pittsburgh. Um, He's also served as an expert in these areas in training priests, deacons, laity, and in many other dioceses. He's an auxiliary member of the International Association of Exorcists, a Vatican-recognized private association of the Christian faithful based in Rome. Over 15 years of working and training in exorcism ministry, he has witnessed or experienced a number of miracles, some of which he has appointed to to investigate by the church. He also works in the tribunal of the Pittsburgh Diocese in pursuing a canon law degree. Adam is also the author of a book that we're going to talk about. It's called "The Exorcism Files: True Stories of Demonic Possession." Adam, welcome to Finding Freedom. Thank you, John. It's nice to be here. Well, thank you for uh, making the time to come on the show. Uh, excited to to get to speak with you today. And you know, if I know my audience is a lot like me, and you're the first um, you know person who is an expert in uh, demonology and exorcism that I had on the show, so they have a lot of questions, as do I, to understand really uh, how this works. So the first question really is from a career perspective. So how did you get set out down down this path?
0: Yeah. So it's very unusual for a lay person to be involved in this, especially at the level I'm involved in it. So I got pulled into this by God about now, like 17 years ago, while I was in graduate school for adult clinical psychology, working in a brainwave, re- uh, brainwave research lab as part of uh, graduate school. And I was curious whether that any, whether any of these strange experiences people sometimes report were just artifacts of the brain or mental illness or like a medical problem that they were misunderstanding, that type of thing. And... I decided to, once I had some training as a clinician and diagnosis, and I knew a little bit about the brain, um, I wanted to talk to these people for myself and and try to get a sense of it. Because at that time, the paranormal TV craze was literally just starting. And a lot of the people that were going out and claiming to validate this stuff didn't seem to have any clinical training and were just taking people at their word. So anyway, uh, that started the journey. I bumped into a possessed person pretty quickly. Wasn't expecting that. um, Hadn't seen anything like it clinically. Nothing I knew clinically had any impact on it. And um, from there shortly afterwards, I met some specialist clergy that were working in this area that led to meeting most of the key people in the United States at that time. And at that time, about 17 years ago, there was relatively few exorcists in the country. And so I met most of the key people, got invited to the International Association of Exorcists um, because some of those key people were on the governing board of the association. And that led to meeting Father Amorth and bunch of the old guys in Rome that have been doing this 40, 50 years, Hmm. and learning from them, and meeting different experts from around the world, mainly European countries. And they kind of led down this rabbit hole of finding out that turns out that it's all real, and that's pretty mind-blowing. And the implications of that are, to me at least, uh, are the large. And so if there's that level of suffering going on that's genuine, And relatively few people are responding to it in ways that'll actually be helpful because psych meds don't affect it. And um, like schizophrenia doesn't make you suddenly fluent in ancient languages, bipolar doesn't make you suddenly know people's secret sins. Um, You know, there's a bunch of things about possession that it's not explainable. It's not as simple as saying, oh, that's epilepsy, and people are just misunderstanding it. And so, you know, once I realized it was all real, I got more involved in it and I had a knack for teaching. And so the church is slowly um, giving me more and more responsibilities and ask me to do more, even though now, all these years later, we, you know, we've trained up many, many exorcists in this country now. But because I've been here kind of since the beginning of the ministry coming back, I'm still playing a role. So I'm sorry for the long answer, but...
1: No, it's a a good question. That's, that's that's definitely appreciate the answer. Um, So how how does this work? How, when, how do you get, get called in to assist with someone who is possessed?
0: Well, I mean, I'm, I'm helping to train the exorcist. So, you know, we, we typically do three to four exorcisms a week in this diocese i'm consulting on cases in different parts of the country depending on if an exorcist is new and i've helped train them in the past They may call for consultation um i do all the intake interviews for people that think they have a demonic problem of which about 80 to 85 percent don't it's misunderstandings or mental illness or medical problems um so yeah i mean i'm i'm just always involved it's it's uh you know, there's a rigorous process before you don't just come in and say, I want an exorcism and the church does it. Um, So there's kind of a a process that a person goes through where at least in this diocese, I would be the one that would be doing the intake interview, which is the first part of that process. So I'd be aware of them long before they got to actually doing an exorcism.
1: Okay. So you you talked about um, some of the different um, mental illnesses or, or mood disorders, which could be m- mistaken for, for a mood disorder, which could actually be uh, demonic possession. So w- what are some other other signs of diabolical possession? Well,
0: okay, you want to be careful with, with the phrase you just used to be clear. So, yes, please correct me. Yeah, so what I was saying was there are things in this area that can't just be waved away as, oh, you're you're misunderstanding schizophrenia or you're misunderstanding epilepsy. Mm -hmm. There are things that some people that are not educated might say, oh, the person's rolling around on the ground and growling, they must be possessed. That's not enough evidence to say somebody's possessed by a long shot. Um, The church over the centuries of, of doing this work, as early as 16 42 when the rite of exorcism was first put together in a kind of standard way for the whole world as early as then they knew that the bulk of these cases were misunderstood medical problems or mental illness they had different words for those things in those days they may have called them hysteria or or, you know even leftover ideas the humors from the middle ages but they knew that most of it wasn't spiritual and so they wanted outside medical experts and and they still do so the first kind of hurdle is you you need to be looked at um, by a medical person preferably a psychiatrist somebody with mental health background who can tell us that you know we don't see an explanation for this there, there's not a diagnosis here that can account for their complaint um, it's not the doctor's job to diagnose possession though because that's not their expertise that's not their training so Once you get past that hurdle, the church then requires you have some signs of possession. And the the four kind of classic signs are knowledge of all languages, knowing hidden things, which is often your secret sins or the secret things that nobody else knows that you've done or were part of uh, that were bad, that were sinful, that they may broadcast to the room. Um, it could also just be knowing secret things that person couldn't possibly know, but they're, they're very banal things like simple things, like what you were doing over the weekend, uh, in your wood shop or whatever. Uh, so knowing all languages, knowing secret things, detecting the holy. So a possessed person, you could line up 10 bottles of water, one of which was blessed in the other room outside of their awareness. Every single time they can pick out the one out of 10 that's blessed. They won't want to drink it or touch it. They can often tell you whether you have a relic in your pocket that you haven't mentioned to anybody that you brought with you. Sometimes under questioning, they'll can even they even say which relic it is, what saint is in your pocket, because they, the demon is detecting and reacting to the holy. The fourth sign is strength beyond their physical condition, and that just means strength that they shouldn't have. That's the weakest of the signs. If you've ever worked in psychiatric settings, I've worked in the prisons and psychiatric settings. um, You can see tremendous strength with psychosis, but it's brief. So somebody can go into a psychotic rage. And I've seen people do some amazing things like they shouldn't be able to do, like ripping the steel leg of a desk out of a cup that's concrete into the floor in a prison setting that, you know, and then breaking out safety glass that was supposedly unbreakable. I've seen some crazy things. Um, The difference with possession is they never get tired. So, you know, I I was at an exorcism that went on for two and a half, three hours. The person never slowed down. Um, It was still taking five men to keep them from hurting other people or hurting themselves. And when it's all over, they often come to and come back into the human state. They don't remember what happened. And they, they often say, like, why is everybody so tired and sweaty and beat up? And they don't feel any fatigue in their own body or soreness or tiredness. It's a very different type of strength. But again, it's the weakest sign. And you would never say because that person's strong, they're possessed. You would want to see kind of a collection of facts that would lead up to that conclusion.
1: So, think about how I want to phrase this question. Um, essentially, I want to ask about how, how does someone. Become possessed, or what? What are some what are some entries to possession? I know there's people talk about Ouija boards or um, tarot, tarot cards. Can, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So, essentially,
0: um, for for your Christian listeners or viewers, um, it boils down to a first commandment violation, and what does that mean? Um, first commandment's essentially you know, I'm the Lord, your God, you'll have no strange gods before me. Uh, Jesus, it kind of sums up the main commandment. You know, you love God completely. Um, So the idea here is there's a bunch of created spirits running around. They were created by God. They're not the creator, just like there's animals and critters running around and we're running around. We're all creatures, right? Mm -hmm. None of us are special. None of us are God. Well, there's a bunch of spirits running around, too, all of which were also created. When you turn to those spirits that are not your creator and you ask them for a favor, you want power, you want information, you want them to comfort you, you want them to tell you about the afterlife, you want when well, you want them to tell you that dad is somewhere in a good place or pretend to be your dad and say, I love you one last time. Whatever your weak spot is, when you turn to these creatures and ask them to give you spiritual solace, spiritual um, help in some way, you're telling your creator, I don't trust you. I'm not gonna wait on you. I want my solution now from this other spirit. And so you break your friendship with God and you start a friendship with that spirit. And the deeper that friendship or that relationship gets the stronger that spirit's hold on you becomes the more rights it has to affect you in extraordinary ways and the deepest form of that is possession and so some people you know they they jump right in the deep end of the pool and there there are rituals where people explicitly give themselves over to possession in exchange for something they're bargaining for now this never ends well I mean it's it's you know it's such a trope in Western society, probably in, in every society, you know, the Faustian bargain of bargaining with the devil, it never works out. So you get a sham of what you bargained for. It's ripped out from under you when you think things are going well. You end up in a worse state that you began in, and now you're possessed. So that's kind of the, the quick way to do it. Uh, the slower ways, like you mentioned, the, the reason Ouija boards and things and psychics and things like that are problematic is, again, you're telling God, I don't trust you. I don't trust your plan for my life. I feel insecure. I want security information from these other spirits. The Ouija board is particularly problematic because it's your own hand and you're giving permission for that spirit to dominate part of your physical body. Mm. So you're you're inviting it to take up residence or control over part of your body. And that's more problematic than doing it just as communicate to me through this recorder like a ghost hunter would do. Does that make sense?
1: That does make sense. So that's kind of interesting. So just to take the Ouija board as to continue down that line, a follow-up question. So if someone uses a Ouija board, say once, compared to someone who's using it every week, is, is is I mean, is the person using it every week, is are they they're more likely to become possessed?
0: Well, yeah, and they're not gonna be they're not gonna they're unlikely to become possessed just by using the Ouija board. What I've heard over and over and over down through the years is people start out with one of these intermediary techniques like a Ouija board or a pendulum or divining rods or yi ching or any any divination technique. And what happens is a few weeks or months into using it, the spirit communicates to the person, if you give me permission, we no longer have to use this intermediary technique. I can just speak into your mind. And that's a turning point in the case where you've now given the spirit direct access to your mind. And then that's when it generally starts to shift and become a little more domineering as opposed to being a helpful figure that's feeding you information or giving you false promises. Now it's got more of a hold on you. Now it's a little bit less your friend. And now it starts telling you not just what you wanna know, but it starts telling you what it wants. Now it shifts to, I don't like that person. I don't want you spending time with them. I don't really like when you go to church. The real truth is over here in the new age. I want you to stop going to church. It starts becoming more about control. And that slowly over time, the straps tighten and the control gets more and more. And it gets to the point where it's, I'm going to hurt you if you don't obey me. So, so, it's, so a is, pro- it's a process.
1: So is this is this a literal voice that they're hearing yes. in, in their heads? Yes. Because yes. I know there's been there's been, you know, mass shooters, some of these school shooters who um, talk about after the fact when they're interviewed that, you know, these voices that whatever their name is, I can't remember, but such and such name was telling me to do this.
0: Yeah. So, you know, John, it's a really interesting question. And, you know, I've been aware of a number of court cases um, and I've served as an expert witness in a court case like this. I'm very leery of the devil made me do it defense because you know, it's a common defense and it's a huge cop-out in most cases. And it's, and it's usually a clumsy attempt to just deflect, you know, being culpable for your crime.
1: Yeah.
0: That all being said, um, one of the big shooters, it was from a few years ago. I don't want to specify who it was, um, but their diary was posted through a reporter Um, their kind of diary that their friends had access to immediately after it happened was given to a reporter and they scanned it and posted it online, at least briefly. I don't know if it's still out there, but I printed it off just out of interest. And given I've been around these things for a long time, I know how they talk. I know how they think. um, I know how they interact with people because I've heard from so many people that have described it to me. And of course I go to exorcisms and, and they talk with a physical voice like you and I are talking. Um, the diary was very much uh, typical. So there was two different handwritings. It was, a, it was a question and answer back and forth, and sometimes, you know, statements from this other figure. Now, you could just say, well, no, he was, he was just crazy. Um, that's fine. Maybe he was. And, and like a famous case, um, Son of Sam, famous serial killer. Mm -hmm. Um, He's given a lot of interviews because he's now claiming to be a Christian and and reformed. And he said that the whole thing about, Oh, the dog with the neighbor's dog was talking to me and told me to do the murders, which serial killer buffs will know all that, you know, he has said he just made all that up, but he's also been very honest that, and he continues to say that he was in a very serious satanic coven at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, the son of Sam, the sam wasn 't the neighbor 's dog it was the, it was short for a particular demon that he was most interested in worshiping and serving in the satanic coven so it 's like you kind of go down a rabbit hole with that question. Um, you really have to look at it case by case, and you have to be really careful because most people are just looking for an easy way to deflect the blame.
1: Yeah, that, that I mean, that does make sense. Of course, you know, people are trying to get and um, the, anything they can to do to, to make their life easier with regards to sentences and senten- sentencing of the crime and things of that nature. So that's definitely a great point. So, I'm curious from from your experience doing this for so long, can you share any experiences of maybe some of or one of the most shocking things you've seen, or any times when, when maybe you yourself were afraid, concerned with uh, the evil that you were coming up against?
0: Um, well, you know, a lot of people ask that question. Um, you know, we've seen some of the stuff like Hollywood amps things up to 11, right? Yeah. Um, Heads never spin around. I've seen bones dislocate spontaneously, um, and then just be back in place when that particular spirit switched out. Like all the bones in the hand popping out of their joints just by doing this, and they all just came out of their joints. And then the, they come at came at you. And then when it switched to a different spirit, you look down and the hands are normal. But and you know, a minute ago I saw all the bones, like lay, the metacarpals, laying back all completely out, like out, not just dislocated a little, like completely dis- wow. displaced. Um, weird things like that. Um, you know, seeing some gruesome wounds that people have inflicted on themselves. That's just kind of ugly stuff that like EMTs see all the time. You know, people lacerating themselves, that type of thing. Um, I've heard some disturbing stories. i uh, not seen levitation yet. I may never, it's a very rare phenomenon. Um, I would say probably, you know, I've never really been afraid. Um, I've had a Satanist try to lure me into a situation to be harmed um, in a manipulative way. I knew that was dangerous. I've worked in prison. I've got reasonable, you know, street smarts. I wasn't stupid enough to do that. Um, So that was more like a regular human fear. Mm. But I've never really had a fear of the demonic. God kind of took that away. It's not a courage or bravado. Mm. It's just to me, it's a very matter of fact thing. And I know God's in charge, so why would you be afraid of them? Kind that of thing. Makes sense.
1: Yeah. So w- let's talk about about ghosts and how mm-hmm. how they factor in. So if if somebody is trying to, I don't know, go out and. Um, chase down ghosts or, or film ghosts and go into haunted you know haunted buildings and, and whatnot. Is that is that the same type scenario of of using these other Ouija boards and tarot cards? Is that is that the same type of exposure? It's
0: actually yeah. So so it's actually kind of worse. So it has the same problem that the Ouija board has that you're you're telling God I don't trust you. I want to I want comfort about the afterlife from this created spirit over here. The reason it's even worse, though, is that God seems to really hate necromancy and necromancy biblically from the Bible. It has a very specific definition, and that is when you call the dead up to talk to them. And, it, you know, it seems to make God angry because, again, you're, you're telling God, I don't trust you. I want, you know, I want my spiritual life to come from this created spirit. But the Bible kind of says that um, God finds it abhorrent. And that word is only used, I think, four times in the Bible. It's, wow. it's a very strong word for it ticks him off in a big way. And he, basi- you know, he basically says, I'll cut you off from my people and turn my face away from you. Like, it's really bad, okay? So ghost hunting, by definition, is calling up the dead to talk to them. You're literally saying, is there some spirit here? Talk to me in this recorder or move that thing to signal to communicate to me, which is, you know, it's not talking, but it's communicating. So you have to kind of think it through. A holy angel isn't gonna participate in you doing a sin that's gonna basically damn you, right? That doesn't make sense for a holy angel to do something to bring about your spiritual destruction. Your, your wonderful grandma who's in heaven and is basically a saint now, isn't going to come down from heaven and draw you into into a sin to destroy you. Mm. That doesn't make sense either. Souls that have made it to heaven know, you know and love God and love you, presumably, if it's your grandmother. Um, maybe you're trying to talk to a serial killer that doesn't love you. I don't know. But it doesn't make sense for a holy soul to come down from heaven and draw you into sin. So then you say, okay, well, what about the the quote-unquote lost souls, which there is no such thing. But the closest thing is a soul in purgatory, and purgatory just means you died and you're not perfect. Okay, so basically that's all of us, right? None of us are going to be completely perfect, never having sinned, never did anything bad. The only person that was in that situation was Jesus and Mary, um, the only people that were in that situation from a Christian perspective. But anyway, we can all agree none of us are perfect, okay? So purgatory is about you can't fuse into God and and become one with God who is only love and bring any sin into that situation. So purgatory is just about purifying that last bit of taint left over from your life, from your bad choices, so that when you enter heaven, you're completely clean. That's all it is. And so it's a it's of a limited time. It's not hell, um, but it's not great because you're not in heaven yet. So those souls, they're on an escalator. They're heading towards heaven. They know they're going to get there. They can see it way up ahead. They know if they just wait this out and get through what they need to do, they'll make it to heaven. So they're not going to come down and draw you into sin. Why would they come down and participate in sin? And why would God allow that? Why would he say, yeah, get off the escalator and go help that person destroy themselves? So you kind of whittle it down, at least from a Christian perspective, and you're like, well, what's left? You basically have fallen angels. Let's see. Well, they hate God. They hate us. They're trying to draw us into relationship with them to get us away from God out of spite because we can make it back to God and they can't. Well, they're a good candidate, and then you have damsels, which they probably don't operate on their own. Um, they almost—it makes sense they would only operate if they're carried around by the demons who own them, you know, because they're damned, they're property, they're not going to be operating on their own. So basically, that thing in Grandma's attic—that's not a saint, it's not a holy angel, it's not Grandma, it's not Grandma who's in purgatory what you have left is a demon who has access to grandma's lifetime was watching her because we're all watched. They can quote you the nickname that uncle Fred used to use for you. That was your secret nickname and make you think it's really uncle Fred. doesn't mean it's uncle Fred. It just means these creatures keep tabs on everybody. So basically ghost hunting is, is really problematic. I know a lot of the celebrities that are the hosts of the ghost hunting shows, and just about all of them have had spiritual train wrecks in their lives, like real effects. They've had to move. They've had marriages destroyed. They've had all kinds of drama. Um, I think some are really spiritually troubled because... Like that's
1: pretty common with celebrities in general. With, uh, well, I was going to say that, yes.
0: Mm-hmm. There's a certain burden with celebrity that a lot of people, yeah, they, they can't handle the, the fame and all of that. Um, but I'm talking more specifically, like because I know them and I know the problems that they're having. It's very specifically like demonic infestations in their homes and that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, well, I, I was speaking more to celebrities celebrities in general, maybe being more likely to, um, you know, making deals with these you know th- these evil forces in order to, you know, ad- advance in in this world. Um, I, there's been some news stories
0: like that it's always hard to know whether the news stories are real or if they're made up, Mm -hmm. but there's, you know, there's a history of that type of mythology in music. Certainly. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there, there's even, there was an interview with a very famous older musician a few years ago in 60 minutes, you know, where he was basically said he cut a deal with the prince of this world at the beginning of his career and um, to get where he was. Now, whether he was just ribbing the the interviewer or not, he could have been just playing with him. But I've also had cases of people.
1: Let me stop for a minute. People don't know the prince of this world. That's that's Satan, right? We're talking about Yeah. Yeah, Okay. just wanted to make clear. Yeah.
0: I had a case of a person who literally did a satanic ritual, uh, agreed to possession in exchange for being able to play the guitar well, as corny as that sounds. And... um, they got a seven-year ride out of it, and at the end, everything was torn down. And by the time we got to them when they requested help, um, they hadn't eaten for 30 days. Um, they had lost a lot of weight. They were dying. They had been to the hospital multiple times. They couldn't find any reason the person couldn't eat. Um, I guess they weren't at the level of tube feeding them. Uh, yeah, and they were, they were possessed. They were not allowed to eat though. The doctors couldn't find any reason. The person couldn't eat medically. Um, they were suffering terribly. It was two exorcisms and they were freed, which is incredibly fast. Maybe because they were, they were getting close to dying. God ended it quickly. I don't know, but, um, they were freed quickly and and debriefing. They explained, you know, they had a, a relative that was in a satanic coven who had said they could get what they wanted when they were 17. They were young and dumb. They did the ritual. Um, they got to tour with the band they wanted to tour with for a number of years and then everything was torn down and they were almost dead.
1: So you you said that two exorcisms and that, that was fast. It generally takes more than that. Sure.
0: Sure. So six months to two years of weekly sessions wow. is the average. Wow. Because there are, by the time somebody comes in for help, there are so many demons in them. It's never just one. It's a a whole colony. And also, while you're working on them, hell is working to get the person to backslide and invite more back in. So it's not like a passive process of like, okay, there's 10 marbles in the jar. We'll take a marble out each week, so it'll take 10 weeks. Hell is trying to get more marbles in the jar in between the sessions and get the person to backslide and sin and invite more back in. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a little bit of a struggle back and forth.
1: So, so you mentioned in that story you were just telling um, that uh, he, he after coming out of possession he was he was unable to eat. Is it what are the typical effects or the how does the person feel um, both I guess physically and also mentally uh, emotionally after coming out of a possession?
0: Well, after you come out of it, you're free and, you, and you're, you're liberated. You're finally free of these horrible voices, the, the, the pains and sensations they can cause in your body. It's kind of like living with an abusive spouse that's in your own skin mm. uh, that has the ability through your nervous system to cause racking pain, to affect your circulation, to affect your eating, to uh, speak into your head incessantly to cause horrific, very vivid nightmares every time you close your eyes, their life is is just awful. Their life is a living torture. Um, Now, that being said, some people, when they're completely compliant with the demon, meaning they're not doing anything that ticks the demons off, the suffering and the punishment can be less, especially if they're serving them, if they're promoting their ideas in the world, if they're promoting the new age or Reiki or the Ouija board or black magic or Mm -hmm. (coughs) normalizing these type of things, well then the demon's not motivated to torture the person because the person's spreading the demon's kingdom. And so there are some people that are possessed that are willfully serving the demonic that aren't suffering all the time. Now, once the demons are done with them, that's when they turn on them because when the person's no longer of use, they viciously turn on them. And that's one of the types of cases that we see is the person who's older, the car is basically run out, you know, the body's worn out, the demon sees no further utility in the person and so ceases to play nice with them and tends to torture them until they're dead. Um, so that's kind of like a, a, a separate case of possession where, at least for a while, it's not horrific suffering, though there is a, there is a, there's a lot of suffering in it. Um, it's, it's a subtle thing. It's not that they're being actively tortured all the time, but there's a tremendous despair in them. There's a tremendous anger in them. There's a there's part of them that's longing to be free that feels completely bound and uh, dominated and trapped. So I mean, yeah, this is a little heavy probably for a podcast interview, but I'm trying to answer your questions.
1: No, I'm I'm asking the questions, and you I mean you're you're doing a great job answering them. So these these are the questions I'm asking, what what I'm curious about, and I think my audience is as well. So thank you for that. Um, I wanted to ask you about really what people can do to protect themselves from demonic possession? Are there things that people should be doing or could be doing?
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, number one is don't play with demons. Um, It's kind of like saying how do you avoid becoming a drug addict is don't do drugs, right? Mm -hmm. So from a Christian perspective, that means don't play around with divination, don't play around with necromancy, don't play around with black magic. That would be your top three. So stop ghost hunting. Stop trying to learn about the future. You know. Um, what do you mean by that? Stop trying I,
1: to learn about the future. Or just stop. well,
0: that that's that's what a psychic is claiming to do. Okay. That's what the Ouija board's claiming to do. That's what pendulums and other divination are often claiming to do is either hidden information or information about the future. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of things you need to stop actively doing and and the biggest one of those is black magic witchcraft and satanism and there's a whole soapbox about wicca um you know the very cliffs notes version of that is that it's it's a system of magic made up by an english nudist back in the 60s named gerald gardner it's not an ancient pre-christian religion that's that's just A myth. Mm -hmm. Um, Its history is well known, and it's well known within the Wicca community, at least the academic Wicca community. Um, Yeah, don't play around with black magic because you're literally asking demons to do you favors. So you're going to be you're going to be indebted to them and entangled with them. So those are the things you can stop doing, which are all going to lead to problems sooner or later. And then the things you can actively start doing is like prayer you know um learn about god the way you understand god whatever your religious system is assuming it's a good religious system Mm -hmm. the way you understand god start participating in that Mm -hmm. lead a good life treat others the way you would like to be treated the golden rule is is basically a universal religious idea it appears Mm -hmm. in basically every good religion on the planet and that is treat others like you would like to be treated. So, you know, if you start with some basic morality and then participate in your faith, that would be great in addition to stopping the bad stuff.
1: Yeah, I think that's good advice. So w- one more question here, unless it leads to more questions, but uh, we're coming up on our time limit here, so I want to respect your time. Uh, when it comes to um, objects, can can objects become possessed with evil? Yes. Yeah, so it's not
0: the word "possessed" wouldn't be the word to use, but they can be cursed or, or connected with the demonic. So anything can be blessed. Crucifix could be blessed. Holy water can be blessed. A tablet of paper can be blessed. Anything can be blessed. Um, again, from you know the system I work in, from from a Catholic Christian perspective, and I think that's true in. in probably universal universal idea likewise if i have authority over that object i can give it over to the demonic and that would be the opposite of a blessing which is called a curse now a curse can have other specific meanings like wishing ill for another person Mm -hmm. but let's say i you know curse whatever um a book and then I visit you and I tuck it under the seat of your couch without you knowing it and leave it in your house and, and part ways. And then pots and pans are banging around in the kitchen that night in the middle of the night and there's strange odors in the house and a black shadow walks past the doorway and there's all this weird stuff going on. And one of the possibilities is there's a cursed object in your house because essentially the demon is saying, I'm allowed to be with this object. This object is in this home and therefore I'm allowed to be active in this home. Mm. And so cursed objects can have an effect. Um, The bigger danger is eating or drinking cursed food or liquid because then it's not the home that's being physically kind of invaded. It's your body. And so some people have ended up oppressed or possessed by eating cursed hmm. food or liquid. Um, so I know it sounds like a goofy thing out of a fantasy movie, but, but it really is a real thing, and we've seen it have real effects. And the litmus test, if you think an object is cursed in your home, is simply get it out of the house, and if everything stops, that's at least one data point that it might, might have been that object.
1: Yeah. So I do have one more question I thought of that I wanted to ask. Does evil target especially good? Does it go after those who are working in the church for good, like priests or you know other Christian faiths, pastors, things like that? Are they more targeted by evil than, than others?
0: Yeah, I think so, because if you think of the chessboard of the world, the people that are— not actively promoting God or trying to help heal others or trying to help others get away from evil. If somebody's just living a a selfish, materialistic life and doing nothing in the spiritual realm on the chessboard in the world, having no impact, well, the demon's already won. Why, why stir that person up? Why put on a show for them and show them that there's a spiritual reality to life? Well, then they might actually start doing something. Mm-hmm. They've already won with that person. So let's just leave them alone. Let's focus on the people that are doing us harm. From the demon's perspective, they want to focus on the people that are harming their kingdom or threatening them. Strategically, that's where you want to put your resources. Why would you put all your resources against somebody who's not doing anything to thwart you? So in that sense, it's true. Now, the bigger thing though, much more important than that idea, is that God's in charge of everything that goes on. He's not willing the demon and wanting the demon to do harm, but the demon needs permission to do harm. And so the people that are working for God, if God says, I've asked this person to do this task, therefore, I'm not gonna allow you to hurt them or do anything extraordinary to them, well then that's that, he's God. And so you'll see with the lives of a lot of the saints, they'll go through periods where they're attacked or messed with, but it's often a a test or a trial that's allowed by God for a limited time. And in the end, it leads to more spiritual growth. If you think back over your life, what are the experiences you've grown the most from? It's when you've been challenged, tested hurt knocked down struggled hard and fought through something yeah. that's actually what makes you mature and get stronger emotionally physically and all ways same thing in the spiritual life and so that's why it, jesus goes in the desert and is tempted by the devil as kind of uh a, not a test for him because he couldn't really test him but as a as a symbolic action of confronting evil as part of his journey and that same christian journey is experienced by others that get very advanced in the spiritual life mm-hmm. so you look at a padre pio who was physically beat up by demons in a cell on many occasions that other people heard it going on saw the evidence of it that type of thing so again the more important thing is when it happens god's allowing it do they hate people that are exposing them and And having conversations like we're having, yeah, of course. They don't want people to to know this information. They want people to be blissfully ignorant and, you know, feed lies to them. Um, But fortunately, God's in charge. And so no evil lightning bolts are hitting us. And, you know, we go about our day.
1: That's good news. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So the book, The Exorcism Files, Stories of True Demonic Possession, I wanted to give you a chance here at the end to, to talk a little bit about what, why you wrote it, and also, if there's anything that um, I should have asked you or something that, that you wanted to, wanted to add to our conversation that, that I didn't ask, um, please feel free to do that too.
0: Well, the point of the book is I've and I'm the same way, I, I'd rather hear a story that illustrates something versus you wagging your finger and saying, "Don't do it." So, you know, if you think of like fables that you tell children, Mm -hmm. you know, that there's there's a troll under the bridge and um, stay away from the bridge, stay away from the water because there's there's a there's a fairy in the water that hurts kids. These are these are fables that are told to keep the kids away from dangerous situations like wandering over bridges when they're alone. Um, The story is more powerful than saying don't do it. You tell the kid, don't go near the bridge. Well, the first thing they do is go near the bridge. But if you tell them the story about the monster under the bridge, they might avoid it. So it's kind of like that. If I wrote a book and wagged my finger and say, stop ghost hunting and don't play with black magic, people would shrug and say, Oh, typical Christian. He's telling me what to do. Maybe I'll go do it more. Mm -hmm. But if I tell you true stories of cases I've seen where You can see the train wreck of what happened from these things, of course, changing all the identifying information and location and all that. So you can see the story, which is what's important of how it unfolded and what happened. Well, then it's like, oh, well, there's a cautionary tale. Like I can read a story about a heroin addict who just had their lives, their life ripped apart by heroin. And that's going to strike a deeper chord in me than somebody just saying, well, you know, heroin's bad. You should never do it. Well, yeah, okay, but like guys I met in prison when I was working as a psych services specialist in prison who were heroin addicts who would sit down in my office and tell me their life story and what it did to them and how they ended up in prison for the rest of their life. Those will never leave me. That's what really like that got through to me. So this book is that idea. That if, a, if I can share the stories with you and then maybe unpack a little bit and explain why that story, I, I hope, is helpful, maybe that'll do some good.
1: And the book is on Amazon, correct? Where else can people get it?
0: Uh, Sophia Institute Press is the publisher, so on their website, too. Um, but, yeah, if they use Amazon, it's there. It's probably in all Wherever, wherever books are to be had, it's probably out there.
1: <laughs> any uh, any other things you want to plug, your website, social media, anything like that? I don't
0: use social media. Um, stay away from all that. Um, you know, if people want more information, uh, religiousdemonology.com is a website that I have that has, you know, a whole lot of additional information. If somebody has specific questions, unless you live in the Pittsburgh diocese, I can't get, get involved in your case, but you know, you can contact the diocese that you live in. Um, but yeah, that website has a, a kind of just a ton of basic information on it.
1: All right. Well, thank you for coming on the show and thanks for, uh, for sharing about this incredibly important topic. Oh, well, thanks for having me,
0: John. God bless you.
1: All right. That is a wrap. Uh, as I said at the top, we would get into some heavy things today on today's show with my conversation um, with Adam Bly, and did not disappoint, and I hope you enjoyed it. I hope that you did come in with that open mind, and if you're still listening now, I'm going to take a guess that you, that you did, and you might have questions. I have a lot of questions now after doing the interview, and there's going to be an interview in a few weeks um, I'm going to bring on a priest who has actually done exorcisms. And we'll get a little bit more into that and go down that road. Really excited for that too. Um, If you like this kind of stuff, that's great. Uh, If you don't, I'm sorry, but this is kind of very interesting to me Um, at this point in my life. I'm really just kind of feeling pulled uh, in this direction to talk about these things. So I think it is very important um, not to just look at... um, Things, you know, let me just say it. I'll just say it. There is a buzz and a um, really agenda out there for this spirituality um, way of life without God in it, without Christ in it, this non-Christian spirituality. And it's very, very concerning to me because I am someone who does believe in a spiritual realm in a good and evil spiritual realm. And to see people, especially kids, um, steered toward this random spiritual spirituality, spiritual realm where evil is lurking, it's it's very concerning to me. So that's why I'm going down this path. Um, hopefully you're enjoying it. Hopefully it's entertaining to you and uh, you're getting some questions answered, maybe getting more questions like, like I am. But uh like I said we'll dig in more to this later. And uh if you do have a guest idea along this path or another path that you'd like me to bring on and talk about, you know, on the uh the path of uh um you know, faith and Christianity or, you know, my podcast has am going in the entre- entrepreneurship direction and the health and wellness direction, any of those areas or criminal justice, of course. I still do bring on people who have been through the criminal justice system. Any of those directions, I am always open to getting guest recommendations. You can send me an email, send it to john at com, or you can DM me on Twitter. It's at John Odermatt on Instagram, at John Odermatt, or Facebook, facebook facebook.com slash John A. Odermatt. And you can reach me that way. So, With all that being said, I will see you all next week. Enjoy your week. Be sure to tune in on Wednesday to hear Brian on Mean Age Daydream. And I'll see you next Monday. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.